little bit of a cliffhanger, but that's going to make sense in a minute. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to get right into business this morning. We're going to, as, um, oh, what's the guy's name? Not Glenn Miller. I used to say, begin the begin. Artie Shaw. Begin the begin. We're going to start in Genesis 1.1. Look at this. In the beginning, say it with me, God created the heavens and the earth. Aside from maybe John 3.16, this is probably the most, or the best known Bible verse, most well-known Bible verse um, in the Bible, Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, now, we look at that and we say, okay, what can we learn from that? And how does that move us along? How does that grow us closer to God? Book of Romans says that we can grow closer to God, but we can know God exists because of his creation. We can look at creation and know that God exists. That's Romans 1.20. There's a lot of verses that go along with that and beyond that. Um, the one I want to focus in on this morning and kind of keep coming back to and keep in the back of our minds this whole time is Psalm 19, verse 1. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now this is in Hebrew, so um, I'm going to say this probably a couple of times this morning because I say it a lot. It's really difficult to translate one language to another. If you speak two languages, try to... I always say, Mary had a little lamb. Just try to translate that into a different language. It's nearly impossible not using a hundred or a thousand words. So this, let me just say, put a little bit different spin on this. Not to give a Hebrew lesson this morning, but it says the heavens declare. Really, it should say the heavens recount or explain. Right? The heavens explain the glory of God, right? Or evident because of the glory of God. And then it says, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. That word proclaim really means to make known. Right? The skies make known the work of God's hands. Right? The heavens recount the glory of God. The skies make known the work of his hands. Now we're going to go back to that in a few minutes and kind of come back to it a couple more times this morning. But I want to talk about how this verse played out or plays out in real life and in real time. I'm going to use some of our nation's heroes to, uh, to put that out because they did that in spectacular ways. Um, men and women who authored Tom Wolfe said had the right stuff, right? Seen that movie, The Right Stuff. So now without further ado, it's time to play your favorite game show and mine. And today's a daily double. Who this? Or who these guys? Come on, on. I want you to get this one, right? Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, They're, uh, they epitomize uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. This guy's proclaimed the work of his hands. Okay, these two, for example, best known as the two, uh, first two people that walked on the moon. That's who these guys are in world history, U.S. history. First people to walk on the moon. They walked down that ladder that said, small step for man, right? Giant leap for mankind. You probably know that already from your history lesson. But what you don't know is this. Before they went down that ladder, Buzz Aldrin pulled out a Bible, pulled out the elements, and they celebrated Holy Communion on the moon. The first act on the moon was not to walk down the ladder and get on. No, the first act was to celebrate communion, honor God for who he is and what he did for us. That's the first thing they did. This next gentleman... Also, the right stuff. This is Frank uh, Broman. Um, he commanded the first mission that orbited the moon. You know, we did this in stages, right? We kind of worked our way out there and saw what 
problems do we have to solve before we try to do the whole thing at once? Frank Borman um, orbited the, or commanded the first mission that orbited the moon before we landed on it. While he was out there, 250,000 miles away from Earth, he radioed a message back to um, NASA. And he said, this was his message. Tell me if it sounds familiar. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was his message after he saw the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. This guy's proclaimed the work of his hands. Later, he explained in an interview how overwhelmed, how overcome he was with this whole scene. He said, I had an enormous feeling that there had to be a power greater than any of us, that there was indeed a God, and there was indeed a beginning. The list goes on from these guys who had the right stuff. James Irwin, James Irwin walked on the moon in 1971. He said when he was there, he felt the power of God as I had never felt it before. He became a minister later on, James Irwin did. There's another gentleman by the name of Charles Duke. Charles Duke holds the distinction as the youngest person to ever walk on the moon. He was like 35, the youngest person to walk on the moon. Later, he became a missionary. And he talked about how he would tell people how he walked on the moon, but he walked with the sun. See what he did there? Walked with the sun, the sun, moon, sun. This is not a new phenomenon, though. Two centuries ago, this guy, I'm not going to even ask if we got this guy. This guy's name is Immanuel Kant mostly thought of as an atheist, but really had some thoughts. He's a philosopher. He said this about God's creation. Two things fill the mind whenever new and increasing admiration and awe. The oftener and more steadily we reflect on them, on these two things, the starry heavens above and the moral law within. Right? So it fills our mind with awe the more we reflect on these two things, the starry skies above, the moral law within. He went on to say that this, that contemplation, leads one to contemplate God and that the heavens reveal his power. Kant said that. The heavens reveal God's power. Does that sound familiar? Psalm, one, or Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So as we contemplate God's amazing power, right? contemplate God's amazing power that is visible in his creation, kind of just want to take a step back here and, and set the tone again for where we are, uh, where we've been for most of the weeks of the summer, and that's on our series that we've, uh, we've titled Identity, right? And if you've been with me, hopefully when you see that, you're starting to associate it with the two things that I've been talking about, the two working definitions that we want with identity. Number one, what you believe about yourself. That's your identity, what you believe about yourself. And number two, who you believe you are. That's your identity. And I stress this so many times, and we've had such uh, great feedback on this whole series because, you know, that our, our beliefs about ourselves dictate our actions, dictate what we do, what, how the decisions we make. A couple weeks back, shout out to Jared for filling in last week. Thank you very much, Jared. Nice, nicely done. A couple weeks back, before Jared came in, I was talking about uh, one of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, and his quote that said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And then I put right next to that, I said, you know, the second most important thing is what comes to your mind when you think about yourself, who you believe you are, what you believe you are, what you believe about yourself. So in order to really understand that, in order, let me put it a different way, what should you believe about yourself? Who should you believe you are? In order to understand that, in order to answer that logically and, and thoroughly, 
we have to go back to um, the originator. We have to go back to the creator. That source. That source is the same one mentioned in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In Hebrew, the beginning, Elohim. Elohim is the name of, that God gives us as a God, the creator, God, the sustainer, right? Elohim, one of the names that he uses to reveal to us. In the beginning, God created, right? And so if Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of creation, I want to zip forward just a little bit, and I want to talk about the completion of creation. We can read through Genesis 1, chapter 1, and all the verses there, and Uh, We can see the pattern there. It says, um, God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. Right? Day one, day three, day four, day five. And it was good, God said. It was good. So the stage had been set. Stage had been set. And now day six comes along. By day six, we have an earth, obviously. A few days later, after that, we got the sun, the moon, the stars. They've all been created at this point. We have fish swimming in the waters. We have birds flying in the air. We have bugs crawling around on the ground. The stage is set. Day six comes around. Things start to look a little bit different. God creates the animals. Everything from these fuzzy little bunnies to cattle to horses, everything else you can imagine And many things you can't imagine. I threw this in this morning. I'm going to throw it in again. I read one time that 99.9% of all species that have ever existed are now extinct. That's a lot. We've been here a while, right? But I digress. Back to the events that unfolded on day six, right? Dun, dun, dun. Day six, God creates all the animals we know about and many that we don't know about. But then, one of my favorite moments in the Bible and one of my favorite moments in world history came about. And Moses wrote about it. Probably from some um, experiences that he was given, some notes maybe that he was given. He tells about the most amazing event in the Bible up to that point. Because God himself... God himself, who is up to this point spoken everything into existence, God himself comes down to the earth he created. All the trees, all the plants, all the other planets, all the other animals. Steps down on the earth that he created and he forms a human being with his hands. Out of the mud, out of the dust. And he calls him Adam. Forms him out of the mud and out of the dust. And then he breathes into Adam the breath of life. And he says, now it's very good. Look at Genesis 2.7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That word formed, special word used there. And again, translation is tough. The word formed in the Hebrew means to squeeze into shape. And right now you might be thinking, God could have squeezed me in a couple of different places when he created me, right? Squeeze into shape. But really we see this word in the Hebrew dictionary. We see this word, this Hebrew word, associated with a potter 
making a pot, throwing a pot, right? Formed, it also means to fashion something, right? A potter. So then if you're like me, when we combine the idea of a potter here in 2.7, combine that with the words that God gave us back in chapter 1, it all kind of sort of starts to make sense. Just a few verses before this, in Genesis 1.26, I want you to see the first part of this verse. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. A couple of things should jump out at you immediately here. And depending on when we read and different things might jump out at us, but I want to show you a couple things that jumped out at me here. First is the word us. There's a little confusion on that word us sometimes. Back in Genesis 1.1 where it says, in the beginning God, in the beginning Elohim, Elohim is a, is a plural noun depicting Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? That's who the us is here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let, let us make human beings and then he says, in our image, right, in our image. That's the word I want to focus on this morning. That's a, the word I use to, to title this message, identity imprint. Because now if we talk about the idea of a potter in, in chapter 2, verse 7, right, that image, this word image can also be translated as the word imprint. It's really important for us to understand that. Turn to somebody and say imprint. Lord, you can tell me, you can tell me. I got a lot more crowd participation. Remember, I'm a youth director. I want more noise in here. I look at somebody and say the word imprint. And I want you to look at somebody. I want you to say that word because I want you to have that word in your head. I almost said pea brain, but that's me. In your head, when you walk out the door, I want you to be thinking about that word imprint. When you talk about what we talked about here this morning, I want you to go back to that word imprint. What's an imprint? When I was a kid... Um, they were tarring the road out in front of my house. And I ran down there with a stick. And I carved my name in there. If you've ever seen my penmanship, it's not very good in measuring what my stickmanship looks like, right? I wanted to put my handprint in it, but it was so hot. It's tar, you know? And then I waited a little while. It was still mushy. And I thought, okay, I'm going to at least put my thumb imprint in there. And I stayed there for a long time. Maybe some of you have done that. Made a patio at your house or a driveway or something. And you had your kids or you stuck your hand in it. What's your name by it? Well, that's what God has done with us, believe it or not. We are exactly like that clay pot, right, that the potter throws. God formed Adam out of the dust, out of the mud, as if a potter um, was making a, a pot or a clay pot, right? And then I want you to think about this for a second. If that clay pot is really wet, right, and the potter takes it off of there, and goes and sits it on the shelf, if it's wet enough, when he pulls his hand away, there's going to be an imprint right there where his hand was. And that's what God says that he has done with us. There's a God-sized imprint on each and every one of us because he created us. And then he put us over there, and he's taken his hand away. And now that would be a great way to identify different pots from a different potter. Say, who made that pot? Well, does his hand fit in there or not? Does her hand fit in there or not? And we'll know right away, right? Might try to fill with other things, and that's what I'm getting at. That's what we kind of do. We go through life trying to fill that void with whatever comes our way, but it just doesn't quite seem to fit. Like the wrong key in the wrong lock. You know, I got a lot of Fords over at my house, and every once in a while, I grab the wrong key. 
and I'll go into the expedition or into the truck or into the camper, and I'll put that key in, and it fits, but it doesn't turn, right? It doesn't work, right? So we go through life trying to figure this out, try to put the wrong key in the wrong ignition and wondering why it's not working. Is this wheel messed up or something? What's going on? Oh, it's the wrong key. Right? It's not the key that's designed to fit in there. I have an illustration um, here to help us understand this better. I need somebody to come up and help me Mel Rice. Thank you for volunteering. Give her a big round of applause. That was not a big round of applause. What's wrong with everybody today? My goodness. It's like it's your first time here or something. All right, so I've got a video to show them what I want you to do. I want you to recreate this. I'm going to give you a piece of cardstock, and I'm going to give you a piece of paper. You don't have to tape it on here. I've just taped it on here to make it easier for you to look at. Okay, see how the fold is there? See how the fold is there? A couple of spots there. So here is a piece of cardstock. Oops, that one's already cut. Piece of cardstock and the scissors. Okay. I'll show it to you again. We have that video, Jennifer. Here we go. So they, I just want them to see the video so they can see how um, difficult this is going to uh, to be. No pressure, but you got like 15 seconds. <laughs> Wait, the Packers don't play till three, so we're good. All right. Okay. So you want me to just go? I want you to make this with that and that. That's what I did. I used okay. that and that, and I made okay. this. And you want it to be that sh that shape? Well, you don't have to, no, it can be, no. it can be smaller. Okay. I see where your it point, yeah. I, I cut it down so that uh, it would okay. fit on this. Okay. Okay, go. Supposed to go. Get your mark, it said, please play some music for her, a little Jeopardy music. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, all right, all right. All right, all right. How do you, what do you think? It's not right. It's not right. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm a fair, uh, I'm a fair man. I will allow you to, uh, to call on somebody. You can, you, like the, who wants to be a millionaire? You okay. can call a friend. Anybody in the, in the building, you can call a friend. Okay, yep, I'd like to call a friend. Okay, good. Do you know his or her number? Is it, don't yeah. call Matt. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> How about Allie? Allie's crafty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in a good way. <laughs> All right, so you'll need a new piece of paper. Because this one... <laughs> well, we'll keep it for uh, so that we can understand how maybe not to how maybe not to do it. Okay, so here's the here's the challenge. And there's a piece of paper and the scissors. You have. Uh, I'm going to give you 20 seconds. Five more seconds, maybe <laughs> ten more seconds. No? Hey, we already messed up? Yeah, we messed up. Okay, nice try. I'm going to dismiss you, but I'm going to keep Mel here for a second. Because I'm going to make fun of you a little more. All right, so yeah, play the. Cue the failure music. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, so Mel, I said um, we're going to try to make this. And I said you could call anybody in the building. Okay. Who should you maybe call? I think I should have called on God. Okay, good. And God is in the building. And that's certainly the Sunday school answer. But who, <laughs> who created this? Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you should ask the guy that created it, right? Okay. Okay, good. All right, all right, all right. All right. All right. Give her a big round of applause. Okay, so here's the answer by the way, 
You guys got a good look at it on that video? How impossible that thing looks. Look, you cut once here. You cut once here. You cut once here. And then the secret move is this. Right? I didn't cut them straight enough, but you get the idea, right? So how often do we have these impossible-looking situations? And we call a friend. We call somebody that we rely on, somebody that we think can help us. But really, we should be calling on the one that created this thing in the first place, that created us in the first place. I was putting this together, and I was thinking about a story I heard about a Model T Ford, right? Remember the Model T Fords? Okay, we don't remember the Model T Fords. You know about the Model T Fords? They broke down a lot. Some dude was driving down the road, or what they called roads in those days, and that thing quit right in the middle of the road, just shut down, and he got out, and he cranked on it, and he advanced the spark, and he tried different things, and it just would not go. Well, this big car came up, kind of like an old limo-looking thing comes up, and this very well-dressed, dapper man steps out of the back of the car, and he says, can I be of some assistance? I said, yeah, it just, it just won't go. And he said, well, let me take a look at it. So he gets in there, he starts tinkering around, he starts messing around, messing around, messing around. Tells the guy, just get, get in the driver's seat, and he messes around a little more. He says, okay, try it now. Pops right off. Right? The guy came out, he's so happy, he's so elated by this thing, and then the gentle, well-dressed gentleman um, introduced himself as none other than Henry Ford. Henry Ford said, um, simply, he said, I designed and built these things so I know what to do when something goes wrong. God has designed and built us, and he knows what to do when something goes wrong. And he says, call to me, and I will answer you. And God's designs, by the way, are perfect. God's designs are perfect. You know, we kind of, in some ways, we call earth the Goldilocks syndrome, right? If you take earth and you move it any further away from the sun, we're going to freeze. If you take earth and you move it any closer to the sun, then we're going to fry. And you know that the earth is tilted on its axis, right? If it was tilted more, then the pole that's away from the sun would be solid ice. Right? If you took that tilt away, the, earth, the equator would boil. It's Goldilocks. It's perfect. Distance from the sun, tilt of the axis, it all works. You'll hear people say, well, there's got to be a different planet out there that's um, habitable for life. Excuse me, habitable for life. But the odds of that happening are, are whatever number is next to zero, right? Because this is impossible. Not only improbable, impossible to happen. So God made earth perfect. Habitable for people. Right? But did you know that he created you to be perfectly habitable to him. Look at a couple verses here. You are a perfect design. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16, right? So everybody say to me, 1 Corinthians 3.16. And this is Paul saying it. And I love the way he says, do you not know? Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. Do you not know that? That you are perfectly and wonderfully made to fit God in you. That God-sized imprint. Wouldn't it be really cool if there was a verse that said that? That you're perfectly made for God to live inside of you? Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be very cool, wouldn't it? Let's look at Ephesians 2.10. 
looked at this one before. For you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. First of all, he calls you his masterpiece, right? That potter, right? Given a tour of his studio. God the creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made these planets. I made these stars. I made these fish. I made these trees and all this kind of stuff. Then he gets to you. He says, but this, this is my masterpiece. I've told you that before. He created you. Masterpiece. Biddable. Here's something that I haven't told you, though. He's created. That word created, right? It's the Greek word katizo. Try it. Katizo. Right? It means to make habitable. 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 Why am I having trouble with that word this morning? Livable. Right? So that you can live in it. God created this planet perfectly for people to live on it, in it. He created you perfectly so that he could live in you. Right? Do you not know that you are a temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Why? Because he created you to do that. That's why he created you. Right? And you are perfectly and wonderfully made. Just as he created the world perfectly for us, he created us perfectly for him. His masterpiece. Perfectly for him to dwell in you. And God left that God-sized imprint, handprint in each and every one of us, just waiting to be filled, longing to be filled by God himself. We as humans go through all this mess and all that trouble trying to figure out different ways to fill it, asking different people to help us, looking for different situations to make it happen. But God says, no, 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 no. I designed you and I built you and I know what to do when something goes wrong. All we got to do is advance that spark a little bit. All we got to do is twist that piece of paper. It's easy for him. So my challenge to you and my question, my challenge to you is this. Let him be the one that fills that void. When we're talking identity, right, what we believe about ourselves, who we believe we are, we have to believe that we are his. We have to believe that he, we are his masterpiece. We have to believe that we are created anew in Christ Jesus. So that we can do those things, have that relationship with him and make a difference in his kingdom. So stop looking different places. Stop trying to fill that void with other things because it's going to be like that key in the wrong car. It fits, it looks, just doesn't do it though. You've got to have the right key, you've got to have the right handprint, you've got to have the right imprint in you and it's got to be filled by the one who created you. You picking up what I'm putting down? Can I get an amen to any of this? All right, let's please stand while we pray.